Hi, welcome to the Dr. Bill Educational Series. This is Karen Nutt, Director of Child Development Services with the Braille Institute. Tonight we have Dr. Bill speaking on, what are we speaking on, Dr. Bill? <laughs> yeah, we have a really great, great topic tonight. We're, we're going to talk about the importance of introducing your children to college-age students who also have low vision. And Great. Join... Thank you, Dr. Bill. Yes, thank you very, very much, Karen. And to join me on the call this evening, we have Jesse Walensky, who is a graduate of Cal State University, Northridge, and she is also visually impaired, but I think that she could give us a lot of insight to show how that type of a relationship could be very helpful to the child. So welcome to the show, Jesse. Hey, Dr. Bill. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm excited oh, yeah, to be we're, with you. We're so glad to have you here. And, you know, before we start, Jesse, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your vision problem and where you went to school? What did you graduate in? Um, well, I'm Jesse Walensky, and I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa when I was seven years old. Um, I grew up in Oak Park, California. So, I mean, I've definitely grown up visually impaired, so throughout all of my schooling, I've had to have adjustments and things be a little bit different. Um I'm actually not a college graduate yet. I do have my associate's degree, and I'm actually attending Cal State um, Channel Islands in the fall. So that is going to be a whole new adventure. Oh, great. But um, what I've studied so far at Park College is child development. So I'm very passionate with um, working with children. I've been a preschool teacher um, for the past four years and worked at a child care program four years before that. So I've had a lot of experience working with kids. Luckily, my vision has been good enough over the years to do so. So it's a subject that I'm very passionate about. Wow, that is wonderful. And and when you were a child in elementary school, did you actually know that there was something different about your vision did anybody tell you that you had a vision problem, or did the doctor never explain anything to you? Um, when I was younger, um, I was in kindergarten, I believe, when a teacher reached out to a school nurse because um, they did regular vision tests, and they alerted my parents that, you know, they might want to take me to the doctor or something seemed a little off, and then I think through a couple different doctors, I was finally diagnosed at age seven with retinitis pigmentosa. Um, but honestly, at that time, you know, I was so young. I just, I really don't, you know, remember so much of it because my main issue with my vision is being night blind, you know, so I remember being afraid of the dark and things like that. But I think at that age, it was mainly my parents struggling with it, um, you know, and me kind of coming to terms with it or really facing those issues at an older age, I would say about 13, 14 years old. And what happened when you were 13? Did did the nurse actually talk to you a little bit about 
what problems you were having with your vision, or was it actually that you couldn't see the, the books and the information on the chalkboard? Yeah, definitely with that. I've always had to have larger books um, with very large print books, um, sometimes use of a magnifying glass. Um, but, you know, unfortunately for me, there was so much emotion tied to using things that were different in the classroom and really being afraid of standing out in those ways. So I was very hesitant to use these things that would help me out and really utilize, you know, all these resources that I had. So I have great people around me, you know, my parents encouraging me also to do things that would be easier for me. Um, but that's kind of what's exciting about my journey now is school is that I've been able to embrace all of these things and it's making the process so much easier and being able to connect with other people, especially connecting with the people who have the resources for me and who can help me out giving me that extra test time or using my magnifier in class, making the test bigger, things that I need. So that was really, I think, the main thing for me when it comes to school is just learning how to advocate for myself to get what I need. Wow, that is great. Now, so when you were in elementary school, were you the person who would tell the teacher, I can't see this, or uh, did they actually notice you were squinting or something and then they they brought you large print books? I I can't exactly remember how that happened. I don't think that if – I feel like if I said anything, it was very hush-hush, you know, like just yeah. – yeah, you know, maybe it wasn't, um, yeah, as honest about what I really needed, about how serious it was, because I was very worried about being singled out in those ways. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, we had to really approach the teachers with an, you have to have an IEP, and you have to be able to meet with the teachers. They have resources for me that I could meet with. I remember there was a great woman, Linda Jacobson, who I would meet with, once a week, and she would check in with me, see what I needed, and see, you know, what she could help me out with, and that was really invaluable. I think she um, actually got paired with me when I was young, when I was first diagnosed. Are you kidding me? Linda Jacobson was your teacher for the visually impaired? Yes, yes. Do you know Linda? Oh, oh my gosh. We're very good friends. Yes. I love Linda Jacobson. Yeah, she was, oh, my gosh, a treasure. Yeah, a complete savior for me. You know, and my my office was in Santa Monica, and there were uh, this lady out there in a long ways away named Linda who kept referring me these kids. And I said, now, who is this lady? I don't even know who she is. And then we eventually, we met face-to-face, and I couldn't believe it. She was so kind, so loving, and she says, you know, I just want to make certain that my kids get what they need, and I don't know what's always the latest. So, my goodness. No wonder you turned out so great. She is a wonderful person. It was all Linda, yes. She's amazing. Hey, so when you were in elementary school, from your your memory, I would almost even guess that you were the only child with low vision in your class because there aren't a lot of kids with low vision out in that neighborhood of where you live. Yeah, 
No, yeah, no, not at all. I didn't know anyone growing up. Um, and it was interesting because, you know, when there's not a lot of awareness and people don't know, um, you know, they just don't always know how to, you know, be of assistance maybe in the right way or I guess right. they can't relate to it. In the same way, you know, like I would say I have trouble seeing, you know, people be like, oh, gosh, me too. I can't see anything without my glasses. And, you know, I'm trailing behind and it's nighttime and I'm left behind or something. Oh, like, no. You know, like you just you just don't know. Um, it's hard for people to really get it. So, yeah, I didn't really meet anyone until I started going to Foundation Finding Blindnesses um, conferences and they had vision walks and I actually got to meet great people like you. Yeah, Gordon Dunn. Lots of people like who just Oh, I'm sorry about that. Who really just showed me um you know, that they're independent and confident and successful visually impaired people out there. And that was something that I didn't really think was possible for a long time. So when you were uh still let's say in elementary school and kids may not know how to ask you questions in the most polite way, or maybe they would come up to you and say, how many fingers do you see, or they would think that you're totally blind maybe, or all kinds of ridiculous things. How did you learn to deal with that? Did you go and talk to your teacher, or did you talk to Miss Jacobson and say, you know, the kids, they, they're, they're, they're just really making me feel uncomfortable, or... How did you handle that? Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely went through that. Kids, unfortunately, at the, those ages, um, you know, you have kids who pick another kids naturally, regardless if they have a disability or whatever, has, you know, whatever's going on. So it's just kind of about, you know, staying above that and not letting that affect you. I think that it's hard not to, but I think that you need to talk to someone. You know, I've been in and out of therapy since a very young age. And I think that was really helpful for me because I can actually talk about all these emotions and, you know, talk about things that my friends weren't going through. So luckily I did have friends that I could talk to and always had good friends that stick up for me, which is always nice. <laughs> Feeling very fortunate for that always. And I have, you know, friends even back then who still do the same thing. So that is good just to surround yourself with good people, but... Hey, but you know what? You're such a. You've always been such a cool person. Everybody's going to want to stick up for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that, but. (laughs) Hey, but, you know, a lot of this, a lot of this is very surprising to a lot of people to hear that you were going to therapy, a psychologist, when you were in elementary school? Um, yes, I found out that I was adopted when I was around seven years old. I was adopted at birth, but um, oh. I found out when I was younger. And so that, honestly, that I wanted to, you know, I saw an adoption therapist, and she was amazing. I got to meet other kids who were adopted, and oh, it really wow. helped me accept and understand, you know, that whole process. Now, do you happen to know... Was the reason that you were told that you were adopted, did that have anything to do with your vision? Or was that just the age that your mom and dad planned on telling you anyways that you were adopted? 
No, it didn't have anything to do with my vision. Like, my parents told me, you know, from a very, very young age that I was adopted, but I feel like when I was around seven years old is when I really soaked it in. So it's kind of mm. like at that time, I don't really remember at that age, you know, thinking about my eyesight and stuff like that until later years. You know, I feel like at that age, my parents were dealing with it. And I remember when I was younger, just really struggling more with the adoption thing. And, you know, that was a, um, a whole thing on, on its own for me, you know? <laughs> so, wow. Um, I really made some a little bit later in the issues that I was having with it. But, you know, you, you were so blessed to have your mom and dad adopt you because I know your mom and dad, and they are wonderful people. I mean, the best people in the world are your mom and dad, and to have them as your, your parents, you really lucked out because it could have been other parents who really don't have that type of understanding. Oh, Not yes. I... Where, where were you when she was a teenager? My dad is actually right here with me. Both of my parents oh. are here with me. <laughs> well, she was, them, yeah, here she was probably the easiest child to raise even when she was a teenager. Right, Fred? Not, not so fast, Dr. Bill. <laughs> not so much. Um, <laughs> but I do feel very lucky. I mean, I feel like I couldn't have... Uh, and have gotten better parents, you know what I mean? You oh, do know I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I would love to have your parents be my parents and have your dad right. barbecue for me. <laughs> I don't know if they're looking to adopt any new kids, but I'll let you know. Okay. <laughs> Wait, is Marsha on the call, too? Yeah, my mom's here, too. Oh, great. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Because, you know, even even when you think about psychotherapy or going to a support group for children who are adopted, a lot of parents will not research and find out who specializes in children who are adopted, uh, especially where you live out in Oak Park. I don't know that there's that many psychologists who, who specialize in adoption. Yeah, no, she, I think, um, my mom said she was based in the valley. Okay. So, yeah, we have to, we have to drive a little ways to go meet her, but, I mean, it's very helpful, you know, and I saw her for, I think, a couple years, and then around the time I was 14, 15, I think I started seeing a therapist again for several years, like, all through high school, and, you know, because it was, being a teenager is hard enough, so being a visually impaired teenager, you know, it's just, Yes. Um, it was a lot to navigate, so to have, you know, a third-party person that I could just talk to about everything is very helpful. It's really wow. Helpful so all in all, for your particular case, then, Jesse, it really sounds like the fact that you did have professional people that you could talk to really helped you. Oh, it did, yeah. It was invaluable. It was, it was really great. I'm very fortunate for that. And uh, I would I would think that now because of everything that you you have actually experienced yourself going through school with your visual condition and knowing what it feels like if you're the only one using a magnifier or uh, a large print book, uh, 
you you know how to actually relate to other students who might have low vision now. Would that be true? Definitely. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely hope so, you know, and I hope to get involved um, with my disability accommodations program over there. It's called DOSS, D-A-S-S. Um, so, yeah, that's how I can, you know, hopefully meet some other visually impaired students and... I'm sure wow. we have a lot to talk about, you know. <laughs> oh. But that's you know, because, later. Oh, sorry, Dr. Bill, go ahead. Well, that's really what I think is so important. If all of our children who have low vision were able to meet you, or if they, if they knew you and they could call you and they could talk to you about things, I think it would be so helpful to those kids because... These kids know that they can't ask their parents because their parents probably have normal vision and they don't know what kinds of visual aids are helpful, right? Yeah, they really might not know. And I think that being involved with the Foundation Finding Blindness specifically, like, provided my parents with a lot of resources on ways that they could help me out. But then as I got older and got more connected, like, it just helped me meet new people who were also visually impaired that I could talk to, you know? So if I could be able to pass that on to someone else, that's what it's all about, you know, is knowing other people who are visually impaired and, you know, happy and living good lives. That's possible. So, you know, I would definitely be able to connect with kids and teach them that. But you know what you're talking about? Going to a support group or going to the Foundation Fighting Blindness and all of these other things, the vision walk, a lot of kids with low vision, they never go to these camps and they never go to these events. And some of the reason is because, number one, the parents may not know about it, or number two, many times the parents don't have the money to pay for these events, and number three, there's many times that the children are afraid to leave home. Did you ever feel that, that you didn't want to leave home? You don't want to go to this camp because I don't want to leave my mom and dad. I need to be here. Um, well, there's a definite issue, like you said, with pricing, you know, not being able to afford some of these events. So that can be a little, you know, unfortunate when you're not getting to go out there and actually meet a bunch of people. But if you're wanting to connect with people, I would honestly suggest social media because that's a free way to connect with other people. I've met so many people across the world, you know, um, other people like me who are my age who are visually impaired, younger kids, parents of kids, brothers and sisters of people who are visually impaired, you know, who, who just want to talk to someone about what they're going through. Um, but yeah, it could definitely be a concern for someone who's visually impaired to not only like leave their home and leave their family, um, but just kind of leave their comfort zone because that's yeah. a big thing that I've noticed because it's like, I like going to the same places where I know where things are and how the lighting is and, you know, the things that people might not think about. So sometimes new places can just be scary, you know, yeah. in a safety yeah. kind of way besides just being uncomfortable and. You know, so that adds a whole other factor to it. 
Hey, Jesse, how, how do young people, how do young people, first of all, find college-age students with low vision on social media? Um, how, how, would, how would somebody know where to go to find and meet somebody? That is tricky specifically for college, um, but honestly, yeah, through things like the Foundation Finding Blindness, you can. I've met so many people through that. Um, the more communities I think that you just get into, if you just do some research about, um, well, if you're looking for specifically schools, you can probably do searches for that. Um, but that would actually be a good question. I think the only way that I've really met other visually impaired students have been through programs at my school, you know. So if you're oh. not meeting anyone through your school specifically, maybe the person who would work there has some resources. And because there's got to be even, you know, if there's chat rooms or things like that, calls like this for visually impaired kids to get together. I just attended um, a Zoom meeting of this group from Instagram that I met all about these people with different disabilities in general, you know. So maybe it's, um, it's not always visually impaired people, but sometimes oh. meeting other people who are in a situation like yours that can help. You know, that's that's so important, too, because I really want these kids who have low vision to learn that there's other children and there's other adults who have low vision and if they meet somebody like you and they see that you're in college and you're going to be transferring to another bigger university, they're going to realize, hey, you know what? If Jesse could do this, I could do this. And I think that really helps them to have that level of hope that they can succeed. And if they have questions, they could call you or they could call me, you know? Definitely. Oh, yeah. I would definitely want to open that up that anyone listening or anyone that you want to put me in contact with, I would absolutely love to talk to because that's what it's all about. You just you have to know that you're not alone. Sometimes visual impairments can be very isolating and you can feel very alone from it. Um, so, yeah, you just have to know that you can do anything that you want to do. You know, it might you might be doing it a little bit differently than everyone else, so that doesn't mean that it can't be done. You know, you ask people for help, you... Use how to, know how to use your white cane, maybe get a guide dog, you know, find your resources on campus. Anyone could do it. Oh, and then when you meet other people who might have low vision or maybe they can't walk and they have to use a wheelchair or maybe they can't hear, but regardless of what their disability is, these people, they succeed in doing what it is that they want to do. And Definitely. A- oh, of course. There, there really doesn't have to be any limitation, you know, and luckily we're living in a time where there's a lot of resources and a lot of things that can help people. So, you know. You know, when you were uh, in elementary and middle and high school, how beneficial would it have been for you to know somebody who had low vision and was in college? Would that have been helpful to you at that time? Um, yeah, it definitely might have been. Um, you know, unfortunately, in, in that time, for me, I was not thinking about college, and I think my vision had a big 
um, you know, a big thing to do with that, where I just didn't think that I could. I wasn't comfortable. I just, I really wasn't even thinking about that as an option. So meeting really? someone you, like that could have definitely helped. There was a time when you thought you would not be able to go to college? Oh, for sure, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember, you know, in senior year, my friends are all applying. Oh, I didn't no. apply. I didn't even, I didn't even think about it, you know. I just got a job. Um, but yeah, you know, it took a while for me to go back to school and, you know, it took a little bit of me trying to figure out what my passion was. And I realized I was good with kids. So I decided to go after that. Studied child development, became a preschool teacher. And, you know, now I want to go back to school for child development, um, to get my bachelor's in child development and then move on to get my master's, um, in visual impairment studies so I can be able to work with blind children. So... Is That's that what goal, you're going to do? You know? Really? Yeah. Huh? Oh, my gosh. Hey, well, yeah, uh, I do. Karen Nutt's on the line, and she's the head at Braille Institute. So uh, she's going to be wanting to talk to you in a few years. <laughs> well, I would definitely love to talk to her. That sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm actually learning Braille right now. So that's been going really well, and I've been enjoying myself. And so may I ask a personal question about what was it that made you realize that you could go to college when, you know, you, you, you stayed out a couple of years? Is that what you said? You didn't go to college after high school? Yeah, no, I didn't. I think I took a couple of classes and didn't follow through with them. Um, yeah, it wasn't until a couple of years after I graduated that I went back Um I only went back because I got a job at an after-school program, and I was like, oh, I don't really know if I'm going to like this. I don't know if I'm any good with kids. And I went, and I absolutely loved it. And my friend was going to school for child development who also worked there who got me the job, and I was like, hey, maybe this is something I could do. And, you know, I got my associates, which was enough um, here where I live to get, um, you know, a job as a preschool teacher, so... You know, luckily yeah. I kind of fell into it, but yeah, I kind of I just got inspired. You know, my my passion for it kind of just overtook my fear, and I was like, "This is something that I can do," and, and I'm and doing it. When you find your passion, you found that you love working with these kids. That's what it really was, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it was. I just loved there's, it, there's and I was nothing... like, "Hey, I'm good at this." You know, you gotta gotta listen when those moments happen. You you know, something clicks. You're like, "Oh, I gotta chase this feeling. I gotta chase this goal." <laughs> Oh, my gosh, that is great. You know, was there ever a time in your life that a student who's younger than you and had low vision came up and asked you any question about low vision or what's it like being visually impaired or any of those types of questions? Have they ever asked you anything like that? Um, are you saying young kids who are visually impaired, if they've asked you that? Yes. Let's say that it's an eighth grader in middle school, and have they ever come up to you and asked you a question about low vision? I really haven't had too much experience, honestly, with um, young kids with low vision. You know, like in my area, there really aren't many visually impaired mm-hmm. kids that I've mm-hmm. met um, at all. You know, there's been a couple times that I've met other people, but it's really, you know, here and there, um, you know, these conditions are pretty rare, so it's definitely where I'm living. I haven't met anyone young, yeah. but um, 
I have talked to my preschool kids about it and brought oh, them wow, really? to read and talked about, you know, me using flashlights and magnifiers and things like that, you know, and just, just, I think part of, you know, kids is just knowing that it's okay to talk about those differences. So you just talk about anything that might be different. And it's like, like I said, with the schooling thing earlier, I'm doing the same thing as everyone else. I'm just doing it a little bit differently. You know, I'm getting there in a different way. So yeah. that's kind of you know, just the same thing, just letting kids know that, you know, you're still going to get there and you can still do things that you want to do in your life and go and get an education and get those, this job that you want or whatever it is and you'll just find a different way to do it than everyone else. You can still do it. Well, we're going to have to set up a plan so that when there are kids who have low vision, if they want to ask questions or they want to meet a person in college with low vision, we'll have to get together and have a big pizza party or something like that, do something really fun, and we'll have the kids and their parents come out and they could ask questions. All right? Sounds amazing. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I think that's important to, to create opportunities and create a place where kids can come and feel safe and talk about it and meet other people. So I think that's a great idea. Let's do it, Dr. Bill. Let's start it. Okay. Okay. We're going to do it. I'll tell you this is a very <laughs> interesting story. You know, all the years that I was an eye doctor, I specialized in low vision. So I specialized in helping children who had low vision, a very poor vision. And all those years that I was in practice, I never once, never once had a student or a child ask me anything really specific of their vision. But as soon as I retired and the world found out that I had this eye disease and that I was losing my vision and I was probably going to become totally blind, a lot of kids would call me and ask me questions. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. So in other words, it sort of shows that children, they realize that another person who has low vision can answer their questions, but a doctor may not. But they would ask me questions like, hey, Bill, I heard that you have a vision problem. I'm sorry. I go, oh, thank you. Thank you. Are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. I'm doing fine. Because I want to ask you, though, we got the prom coming up at my school. And I really want to go, but how am I going to go? I can't see well enough to drive a car. And if I ask the girl I want to, she may not want to go with me because I don't see perfectly. And so I said to him, I said, don't be ridiculous. She doesn't care what you could see. She would want to go with you because of who you are. You're funny. You have a great personality. And you could hitch a ride. Maybe one of your friends is going, and you guys could double date. And he goes, really? Do people do that? I said, people who have vision do that double dating all the time. So you don't have to worry about driving. 
And then he called me up. Yeah, he called me up about a week later. He said, Dr. Bill, I asked her, and she said, yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He was so happy. And he (laughs) said, you you never guess what. We are going to double date, but my date is going to be the one who's driving all of us. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way you do it. (laughs) He couldn't believe that a girl was going to be driving everybody. (laughs) So, you know, I think that we could open up these lines of communication because the kids may not ask their dad and mom that question about can I or should I go to the prom or they want to ask somebody who has been through this and they could ask you, right? Definitely, definitely. And I think you bring up a really good point saying that when you were just these kids' eye doctor, you know, and they would do the kind of regular doctor visit, they weren't really asking you these questions as when they did, they found out that you were visually impaired and were going through this and all that other stuff came out. And that is just kind of, a lack of resources that the doctors have, you know what I mean? More times than not, doctors don't have pamphlets to give out or information. You know, they deliver these diagnoses, and it can be, you know, so heartbreaking for someone to hear, especially, you know, a young person who's going through everything else crazy. But, you know, that's where we want to get this kind of stuff, you know, the numbers of people like you and me and the foundation and resources so you don't walk out empty-handed without a plan, you know? Because it's hard emotionally. I've had these kids call me up and say, you know, these are kids in elementary school, say, hey, Dr. Bill, it's my birthday coming up and I'm having a bowling party. Do you know how to bowl? I go, yeah. You want to be on my team? Yes, okay. (laughs) And they can't believe (laughs) that I'm going to go. But, you know, we go and we have a good time and... Other times, kids will call me up and say, hey, you know, my family, we're going to go out to eat tomorrow, and hey, do you want to come with us? You could bring your wife if you want. (laughs) (laughs) So we do all of these things, but, you know, it becomes a different relationship, and they ask questions. And I remember when we went out to eat, that that little boy, he then says, Dr. Bill, am I going to be totally blind one day? And I said, no, people with your kind of eyes, they don't become totally blind. He says, I've been so worried about going totally blind, but I didn't want to ask my parents because I don't want my parents to know that I'm worried. So that's what's going on in their head. So, well, we'll do that, Jesse. We're going to start up a group, and we'll we'll get kids to call us if they want to talk to us and uh we could maybe do some bowling and some pizza or whatever that it is, okay? I can't wait. I'm, I'm very <laughs> excited about this, Dr. Bill. Sounds like a plan because you're right. Hey, you, you know, know what, Jesse? I, I'd like yes. for you to bring. I'd like for you to bring your dad so that he could pay for the pizza, okay? You got it. <laughs> <laughs> now, does anybody anybody on the call have any questions? If you have a question. Unmute your phone by pressing star six, and go ahead and hey, ask. Bill. It's Diane from Partners. Hi, so, Diane. How first, are you? I'm doing good. Um, 
first thing, um, Partners for Pediatric Vision, we usually have family events where we do stuff with um, families that have a child with a visual impairment. And Jesse, we would love for you to come to some of ours and you can talk to the kids and just inspire them. So I would love to invite you to some of our family events if you're available. Oh, my goodness. I would absolutely love that. Thank you. Huh? That would be great. <laughs> and then... Um, and then for the parents out there, you you guys were talking about, um, you know, someone with a visual impairment being scared to ask girls to go on a date. And I just want families to know that there are girls out there that will date your guys or your sons that with visual impairments, and I'm proof of that. So <laughs> I, my husband, when I was in high school, he was visually impaired, and it was not a problem. His visual impairment was not a problem. We've been married 30 years, house, kids, the whole of yards. So there are people out there that cannot wait to date somebody that has good morals, quality, good qualities. The visual impairment is just kind of secondary to the person. Dr. Christian? So, uh, Dr. Christian, I have a question. Sure. You were dating your husband, Keith, when you guys were in high school? I was 15, yes. Oh. yes. <laughs> he was 18. You guys have been together since you're 15? Yes, I've been, I've been married longer than I haven't been. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's great. That's great. Thank you. And then Thank I do you. have one other question, Jesse. You have talked yeah. about um, not wanting to look different, that you didn't want to use the technology that you are using. And we come across it a lot that, you know, the TVIs work really hard. They get the equipment for the kids, and the kids are just really reluctant to use it. And it's a little bit of a struggle. So do you have advice, um, it may be worth of wisdom, for parents that maybe they can encourage their, their child to use the equipment? Um, for the kids themselves, um, you know, I think as a, you know, as an adult looking back at your childhood, do you wish you used it more? I definitely, um, you know, that is such a big struggle because I can still say that sometimes I do still struggle to use these resources because, unfortunately, you know, you're just you get embarrassed about standing out. So I'm sure, like, that's how these kids probably feel. They just don't want anything to look different. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like you got to do things that will help you, you know. And the best thing for me is just kind of being more vocal about it, like the people around me. You know, I think that's the biggest thing is people staring at you. And most of it is just confusion. You know, people don't usually see that. It's more like curiosity rather than judgment. So you kind of, like, open that door to, you know, having those conversations. And I think definitely meeting with the teacher is more helpful than not because you don't want the teacher to be guessing how to help you and what they need to do because they could, you know, holler your name out and something personal, and it can bring back all those feelings. So I think meeting with your teacher and setting out guidelines about how you want to go about maybe getting the help that you need or using the resources that you need to use um, is beneficial. And, you know, it's, it's a process. Unfortunately, it is a process getting over using the tools. You know, I've been using my white cane now, and that comes with its own, um, you know, issues as well with not wanting to stand out. But 
you know, like you definitely prove there's nothing wrong with being visually impaired. So most of the time, those looks that they're afraid of getting is just curiosity rather than um, negative judgment. That's true. It is. It is a curiosity. I agree completely. Yeah, I just it's been helpful for me to just kind of open up that conversation. I've been able to meet a lot of people that way, um, you know, who are very supportive, and you know, I can kind of educate them rather than having it be hush hush. Um, so I definitely wish I was more like that in middle school and in high school, because um, it's been very helpful for me now. Um, so I just encourage them, you know, all kids to. Start as young as you can, just embracing it um, and not letting that stuff weigh you down. The people who matter are going to stick around regardless of what's going on with your eyesight. Good point. And I I like the fact, and I like the fact that you mentioned it is it is a process. I I definitely thought for a long time there was a quick fix, and I was like, oh no, this is a this is a lifetime thing of adjusting and being okay with it and learning. And (laughs) okay. Hey Jesse, I I want to tell you something because I I think you sort of maybe have something a little bit confused, but a lot of those guys are looking at you not because you have a magnifier, but they're admiring how beautiful you are. Oh, stop. (laughs) Yes, you're a very attractive woman, so they're looking at you and they're not looking at that magnifying glass. That's what I say. Thank you, Dr. Christian. Did you have anything else? No, that was it. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your questions. Can you hear me? This is Karen. Yes, hi, Karen. Go right ahead. Loud and clear. Thank you. And, Jesse, I just want to say how wonderful you are, and you have a lot to share, not only with... um, children and students that are visually impaired, but also those students and children that have been adopted. Um, You know, adoption comes with its own stigma, and then you kind of had a double whammy with your vision and your adoption, and it sounds like you had some amazing, amazing, amazing parents. Did you hear that, parents? Um, yeah. <laughs> They're in tears. Have done, done an awesome job raising you, and um, you have so much to offer not only children and students with visual impairments, but also we have a lot of children in the foster care system and adoption system that have, you know, visual impairments, deaf, hard of hearing, multiple disabilities. And they need to hear your voice as well. And um, I just encourage you, um, when you get your bachelor's degree, come see me. Uh, We would love to have you come to one of our um, children's events. Um, One of our child development consultants um, puts on an awesome um, Halloween event that we did at the Braille Institute. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to be able to do it this year because of the COVID, but um, we would love to have you come and see us in action um, because I think you have a really heart um, and soul for this, and um, I would love to see you in the future. And um, I love your voice. I love that you're able to speak, 
and share your experiences. So thank you so much. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. I I can't even, I don't even know where to start. To begin to thank you for your kind words. Literally, my you know, Karen, we may have to fight over Karen, we may have to fight over her. Much. Yeah. <laughs> no, I got She has child development specialists in her future. Just saying. <laughs> well, I would yeah. love, um, you know, to be in contact with you, and I appreciate that so much. Thank you very much, Karen. Reach out to kids. Um, I was able to meet at one visions conference from the SSB. I met a mom who had adopted two young visually impaired girls from India, and I had a great talk with her about, you know, being visually impaired, being adopted, and, you know, I would really like to be able to connect with kids um, who are going through that. Yeah, it definitely is a a double whammy. (laughs) Yeah, you you would be, I mean, just having someone to look up to is really important, not only in the adoption world, but also in the... um, in the world of visual impairment. And, um, you know, I, uh, on a side note, my other hat, I have worked many, many years in the adoption and uh, foster care area. So um, I kind of have two hats that I've always been very passionate about. So um, thank you. You just spoke to both passions tonight. Wow. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, we have yeah. a lot to talk about. <laughs> That's amazing, Karen. I didn't know that. That's wonderful. Yeah, I, that's, yeah I've been involved in the uh, adoptions and um, foster care world for I won't say how many years. Thank you. That's great. Let's yeah, see. it definitely sounds like we have a lot to talk about. <laughs> Is there anybody yep. else who has a question? Okay, well... Jesse, on behalf of everybody on the call this evening and the Braille Institute and Partners for Pediatric Vision, uh, we'd really like to thank you for sharing your time and everything that you know. And uh, we hope that in the future we could have you back and we could have more programs and more podcasts. So this will be up at the website at the Braille Institute and also at Airs LA, the audio internet reading service of Los Angeles. So until next time, this is Dr. Bill Takeshita wishing you very well. Good night, everybody.